Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's 2020 Nitro Funny Car Champ Matt Hagen, and we look at some of the big numbers from 2020. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Talking to a three-time Funny Car Champ and looking back over the season. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, and uh, kind of a fun show today. We're going to catch up with Matt Hagen, talk to him now that he's had a couple weeks to kind of absorb the fact that he is now a three-time NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series Nitro Funny Car Champion. What a season it was. We'll talk about the seemingly never-ending battle in Nitro Funny Car between the Don Schumacher racing teams and just kind of get some of his perspective now that he's had time to kind of sit on it and look back over the year. Then we're going to analyze some of the big numbers from the season season. Uh, some interesting stats, some interesting uh, human style statistics, some interesting team performances, and kind of go back over just some of the things that strike out to me or stick out to me about the 2020 year and what we saw through various categories in Camping World Drag Racing. It has been an interesting couple of weeks uh, since the season ended in Las Vegas. I'm making the show uh, on Tuesday morning, which is the Tuesday morning typically following the NHRA awards extravaganza that happens in Hollywood. And uh, normally we're all kind of wiping the sleep out of our eyes and uh, maybe trying to to cure a little bit of a headache that next morning. But this year there was uh, obviously no award ceremony because you can't have mass gatherings and pretty much any state indoors. And so the other thing that happened a year ago today was that myself, Tony Pedragon, and a small uh, kind of envoy of NHRA officials uh, were headed to Saudi Arabia. We went to the uh, Global Auto Salon in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. We left right after the awards on Tuesday morning, stayed there for about a week, and came home um, before Thanksgiving. And it was uh, a trip that was both interesting and bizarre and strange and cool at the same time. Uh, gave us an opportunity to spend a lot of time together, and um, it was cool to show people in Saudi Arabia what NHRA drag racing was. Um, some of the things that I remember specifically about the adventure was the fact that we had one of Cruz Pedragon's Nitro Funny Cars in our booth. We had a vintage top fuel dragster front engine slingshot, uh, one off Wally Parks, actually the Wally Parks Roadster. Uh, so it was a cross-section of hot rods and, and drag racing cars. We were set up right by the Elite Motorsports Group as well, and they had a obviously a great share of drag racing cars in their setup. But uh, the number of people that were just astonished to see a funny car, because one, they had never seen one. It was the first time in that country's history that there was such a thing as a nitro funny car in the borders of the country. We had some videotape rolling that people were kind of mesmerized by, the header flames, the speed, and that was really the most common question we would answer is how fast does it go? And uh, we did a lot of uh, metric conversions because that is uh, obviously Saudi Arabia uses the metric system, so when you give people speeds in mile an hour there, it doesn't really make any sense, but when you give the two of them on the metric scale, all of a sudden uh, it becomes very real. And uh, it was just neat. It was neat to have that experience of seeing how people reacted to something they had never seen before. And frankly, a lot of them probably never knew existed. One of the other cool parts, Khaled al-Balushi, obviously from that area. He is not Saudi Arabian. He is from the United Arab Emirates, but he was at the show. Uh, and he is uh, he is like Elvis over there among the uh, among the car world, among the automotive world, because he competes both in the United States and in the Middle East at a various uh, different styles of competition 
they race uh, very high horsepower, multiple thousand horsepower trucks up the sand dunes uh, over there. It's a, a motorsport competition, and they time make time runs, and I think they do run them side by side as well. And he has done very well in that arena over the years. So a lot of people know Khaled, and every time he would pop by the booth, he would bring with him uh, a big crowd. Uh, we visited the only dedicated drag strip in Saudi Arabia, which was um, a great experience. We met the track manager, and he invited a track owner, I should say, and he invited us out to his facility. So one morning we got up early and hopped in our, I don't know what even what they were, SUVs, I guess, and um, we got a ride out uh, probably about an hour outside of Riyadh, and there we were <laughs> at this really nice drag strip in the middle of the desert. And uh, we talked a lot about... Uh, how things work in the states how they operate that track we certainly shared some tips and some information and some encouragement with him as they're really in the infancy of the sport of drag racing in that country and the fact that um his racetrack it's very interesting they didn't allow and maybe they do now they didn't allow street tires of any type on the drag strip because they thought it wrecked the traction so the only thing you could have was uh, like a dedicated drag radial or a dedicated slick and you know, we kind of talked to him about track prep and some of the different things they can do to mitigate what happens when a, a street tire shows up. But um, overall, it was a very cool experience. Um, it was an interesting country to see, a place that I probably never thought I would have gone in my life before this trip. And it's uh, very cool that uh, the drag racing brought myself and guys like Bo Butner and Erica Enders and Tony Pedragon and the rest of the crew that was there uh, to that experience. It was not necessarily... Um, how should I say, executed as planned in terms of the car show. And there's a lot of details behind the scenes that I will gladly tell you over a drink that I'm not going to go into detail here. But um, to say that it was a spectacle would be an understatement. It was probably the most uh, impressive, massive automotive event that I've ever been to. It had people from quite literally all over the world, cars from all over the world, Formula One cars, drag racing cars. Um, They had a life-size Hot Wheels loop that a guy was driving a BMW, or rather a Jaguar SUV around at 110 miles an hour, full uh, over-backwards loop-to-loop stuff. Just mind-boggling. And um, if anything, it certainly reinforced the fact that cars do bring a kind of universal language uh, to the world. And even though I speak no Arabic and most of the people I was trying to communicate with spoke very little, if no English, uh, by the time we were done looking at stuff and pointing at stuff and explaining things to each other, uh, we definitely had an understanding. And the smiles were genuine, and it was a lot of fun. And with the bizarre nature of 2020, it's it's crazy to think that that was only a year ago because it feels like it was a lot longer ago than that. But uh, definitely a great experience and something that uh, on this particular week I look back on and think, wow, uh, how crazy was it that we did that? And, um, you know, how crazy was it that our awards that seem like they only happened? I, I feel like those awards nights are very fun and they all, they all have their own kind of uh, space in my memory. But that particular one, um, awards deal last year was uh, a great night a lot of fun and who knew who knew what we would be facing uh, only a few months later in terms of the sport and in terms of what the world was going to look like uh, after the second race of the year in phoenix this would be the time that we're talking about oh it's only whatever 78 days or it's only 75 days until we go back to pomona for the winter nationals and clearly that conversation's out the window for 2021 because we are going to be racing first in Uh, Gainesville, Florida, and that is going to be happening um, months from now. So it will be a different, as everything has been, style of offseason and hoping that uh, the world and the circumstances around COVID-19 improve 
and get themselves to a place by the time we get to the spring that we're able to have much more in terms of fan volume in the stands and all that kind of stuff. And obviously that's going to be a topic of conversation throughout the offseason. Certainly not something I'm going to beat up this early on, but uh, definitely going to be something to watch, definitely going to be something to pay attention to. So as we look back over the last year, not just awards banquets, so we look back over the year of competition that was 2020, certainly the funny car class brought a level of intensity, brought a level of down-to-the-wire excitement, heavyweight-style bouts, really every single race. It was a year dominated by Don Schumacher Racing, a DSR car won literally every race. And you would say that in under normal circumstances, you'd say something has to change. Something needs to be fixed in this class. And the answer is not really, I don't think. And it, because we look at the participation, we look at people, how they raced, we look at the, the way that people competed, and it was not by default that they won these races. I mean, they got chased to the ends of the earth by a lot of really good funny cars this year. Uh, you, we look at who made finals. We look at who competed very strongly. We look at the J.R. Todd's of the world, the Bob Taskers of the world. Um, we look across the spectrum. And obviously, the big the big story, of course, was we didn't have John Forrest racing out either. And I'm not saying that to detract from what DSR did because it was unbelievable. But uh, all indications are John Forrest racing will be back in 2021. John's spoken to racetracks about it. He's been on some phone calls and uh, no public statement made yet. But my understanding is that they are certainly 100% planning on being out in 2021. And that may change the face of Funny Car again. So it's going to be uh, really fun to watch Funny Car in 2021. But I believe the epic battle that was 2020 will go down in history as one of the most intense ever fought in the class. So without further ado, I want to bring in the man who won that battle, Matt Hagen. He is now a three-time NHRA Nitro Funny Car World Champion. Matt, how you doing? Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show, brother. I uh, I love following your Instagram, man. You always have these <laughs> like uh, these really cool old stories and stuff, and like, it's like a wealth of knowledge. Like I like to, I like to look at your stuff and get educated, you know. Well, I appreciate it. I'm gonna have plenty of time to be posting on Instagram like you will over the next. Well, actually, you you actually have to work. I'm gonna be sitting at home staring <laughs> out the window. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you're working hard too, brother. We all do it in different ways, you know. That's a fact, man. I wanted obviously to catch up with you because, um, you know, it's, I said in the intro of the show, it's like, dude, this is normally the morning we're all waking up and trying to maybe get over a little bit of a hangover from the award show, but uh, no such luck today. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's just so crazy, man, just to see how things unfold and what was happening and not happening. And, you know, I mean, the only thing that I, I really took that a positive out of uh, winning the championship with COVID was, uh, you know, I didn't have to give a speech, man. So I was I was pretty pumped about that, you know. You know, and it felt to me, and I don't know if it felt like this to you too, as we were getting down to the wire at the end of the season, especially in Vegas, like it felt that we were kind of like trying to outrun this thing a little bit. Like it was like kind of the whole COVID deal was kind of almost catching up to us a little bit and getting that Vegas race in felt like we just kind of snuck it under the wire. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, I really didn't think the Vegas thing was going to happen. I didn't book my flight until like two days before, you know. And, wow. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. you try not to spend the boss's dime with, you know, if you don't have to. and. And it's just kind of one of those things where, um, you know, I, I, everybody kept saying, no, this is not going to happen. And, yep. and then you get to the, I guess, the, the Houston race there, and and um, you're going like, well, it looks like we're going to Vegas. So it's like, <laughs> all right, let's do this, you know. So it uh, it was definitely interesting, definitely uh, kept you on your toes all season long. And I think that's, you know, as I look back at the other two championships I won and, and some of the runners-ups and all that other mess that we've, we've been involved with, um, this has probably been one of the more challenging uh, seasons as far as mentally, uh, just not knowing what to expect, what to do. Um, you know, obviously all the, 
social distancing, the fans, you know, do we, are we allowed to sign autographs? Do we got to stay away? Everybody's like taking temperatures and signing waivers and doing everything they can to make this happen. And, uh, you know, and then obviously on top of it, you don't know if your sponsor's okay with being out there and, yeah. and being a part of this, you know, so it's, it's very challenging a lot of times. And, you know, that was what I really was proud about that Mopar, you know, being such a, a presence in NHRA and, you know, uh, you know, just basically Mopar muscle and power and, you know, streetcar stuff and just everything that they do. Uh, just screams NHRA, and they they still were like, man, we're going to come out here, we're going to activate, we're going to have a midway, you know, if we're going to be a part of this, we're just still going to do it up, you know, and and I was really, really, you know, proud to, to be associated with a company that was like, you know what, uh, we're going to do all the things that we need to to be safe, but we're still going to put on a great show and a great experience for these folks to come out here to watch this drag racing, you know. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think, um, I, you know, every company that stuck with their teams through the end of the year, uh, every company that still came out with a with a midway display, I mean, that blew me away because obviously, you know, the races in Texas, you know, Motorplex and, and Houston, we had a pretty good-sized crowd at both of those. Uh, we were allowed. Oh, it, was, it felt yeah. normal, man. Yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness, here we go. Yeah. Like, we're back to, to old-school <laughs> drag racing yeah. today. You know what I mean? Like, to do a burnout and look up and, you know, the stands are pretty full and, you know, just people are – you know, just enjoying themselves. And that's what I really think is that, you know, there's so many people that still want to get out and go and do, and they're just, they're just restricted, you know, and, and it's just kind of, you know, you give them that opportunity, they jump all over it. And the, the, you know, I think we sold out every place we went to that yes. we're able to, you know, the, the capacity that we were able to. So it just goes to show you, you know, even in a pandemic, people are looking for things to do to get out, to be, you know, breathe that fresh air and be a part of some motorsports and, you know, just, I just love it, man. Like it, there's no replacement for when you go to the finals and you have a group of people behind your pit and they're just rooting you on and cheering for you. And they're like, come on, Hagen, you got this, you can do it. And that honestly, man, gets me up on the wheel. I mean, it, it gets my adrenaline going because I don't want to let those fans down, man, that are there, you know, supporting you, you know what I mean? And that's, 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 I mean, a big go-to for me. So I was glad to see them back there, you know? Yeah, and you talk about support too, and I guess it goes not only just with the fans, but man, talk about how this year may have been different in terms of just the team itself. I mean, you know, the, the team got the teammates spend the guys that service the car spend so much time together normally. And I know that uh, between everything that was going on, I know guys were kind of staying out on the road and having to do the, you know, not isolation so much, but I know that uh, every team had basically well, told their guys you know, to, to behave themselves, so to speak, you know? Well, yeah. You, I mean, if you get COVID or one guy on your team yeah. does, they shut your team down for two weeks, you know? Yeah. And so that could be the difference in winning a championship and not, and, you know, uh, scooping up those points that are needed. I mean, when it comes down to the semifinal at the last race, you know, yeah. with no no points reset, that I mean, honestly, I love that man. Like to me, that felt like some old school racing, and like I just, I was like, you know what, you you show up and you either you know accumulate enough to win or you don't. And what was really cool was that it wasn't just a runaway season, right? So yes. Funny Car is so competitive that you don't really need the countdown, man. Like you don't don't have like just one guy running away with it. I mean, there's there's 16 cars on every Sunday that can win. And it's just, it, that's how competitive funny car is, is that we don't truly, I feel like don't need that countdown for that class. You know what I mean? Anyway, I mean, I'm sure there's other classes that I'm there's one you. or two people that dominate, you know, and then, you know, you kind of need that, but it just shows you how, how competitive funny car really is and how, how strong it is out there. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the, um, I don't want to say the tension level, but you know, Dickie Venables, like how kind of, uh, 
he, you know, he told us after the final that he had actually slept really good on Saturday night in Vegas, and he, he said he well, never sleeps. <laughs> I'm glad he did because I was a nervous wreck, man. Because I like I ordered like this big wagyu, you know, fillet like 180 dollars steak, and you know me, man, I don't miss no meals, no. dude. And I was, I was, I was honestly struggling choking this thing down on Friday night. You know what I mean? I was just like, oh my goodness, how sad is this? Like I got a 180 dollars steak in front of me, and I. I can't even eat it, man. Like I was like, I was about ready to be sick about not being about being sick to not be able to eat. You know what I mean? I was like, this is awful, you know. So I was like, who wants to put this kind of pressure on themselves? But but honestly, I think it was just a combination of everything, you know, with it being so close and and everything, you know, that goes into it, and not knowing when the season's going to end, and just the pressure of the you know everybody talking about COVID and this and sponsors and you know it just it just kind of compiled on itself I think a little bit for me and just you know I, I actually yeah. really felt the pressure this year and that's usually not normal for me because I feel like I usually do really well with handling you know and minimizing and and you know just kind of keeping it to a minimal and control what you can and think about so I don't know it was just different for me this year I definitely felt that pressure that that you know uh you know to get it done to make this happen you know you just you just don't know where things are going to go after after this and, you know, with sponsors and different things. So it's like you're here and you're at the show, like, let's make this happen, you know. But then you get in your head about, well, don't red light or don't drive it out of the groove or don't don't push too hard. But then you got to push enough to where, you know, everybody's good leavers out here. So it's just kind of you start to overthinking about it. And I'm like, stop thinking, yeah. brother. Just, yeah. just, just do what you do, you know what I mean, and, and let it fall into place. And, and it really did, man. Like, it, it came down to it. I mean – it was a battle. I mean, I hate it for Tommy. I know he's never won a championship, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to cry over it. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Like, no, I mean, listen, and, and nor would he want you to. I mean, that's the thing. A guy like him is a real competitor like you are. It's not like he wants a favor from anybody, you know? Right, right, yeah. And it's, you know, and it's like this one thing about it, man. I think that, you know, what's really nice is that, you know, we're all out here and we all earn them, and it's just, you know, it was just one of those things where it, it, there's no question and, and no doubt in anybody's mind, like, we showed up and, we accumulated more points than anybody and there wasn't wasn't anything else going on i think i owe cap some cbd and some 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 beef man like he <laughs> he definitely helped me out more than anybody on on this uh on this tour but uh just being able to go up there and the and they were helping themselves out but the guys that they were taking out along the way were really helping me you know what i mean with those those round wins and different things that we needed to do i think i even tried to kiss him through his helmet you the other did day, you know and, <laughs> and it was just like he's like man good thing i got a shield on and i said yeah you'd have slobber all over you you know so it uh but you know i mean that's just how it goes sometimes i mean you know you see it unfold a lot of different ways but it was nice that you know i mean hell i had beckman one year uh, i'm sorry i had uh the the first year i lost my championship in 09 uh the one that we thought i thought that was a done deal my second yeah. I'm sorry, it was 2010. It was my second year driving a Feel Funny car. I was still learning to drive. I'd never been in that situation before. And I was still a young kid, man. Like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I look back at and I was like, I should have done different. But at the end of the day, my emotions and stuff kind of overtook me. And, and it was just one of those things where, you know, I had to show up and go one round. And Tasca, we backsided a piston, hurt the motor, and Tasca beat us, you know. And, and, uh, and then I watched John Forrest do what he does, man. And yeah. he basically, you know, went out and won the race to win the championship. But I also had Jack Beckman also had him second round and has a one thirty light against this guy. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking like, <laughs> like, bro, like all you got to do is leave on time and we're good. And he has like one of the worst lights I've ever seen Jack have. And yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like, are you serious? Like, so I had a lot of, a lot of respect for caps when he was out there getting it done and making things happen. And, 
doing what he needed to do to, to finish the best he could. But, you know, when you have, have a teammate and you're kind of counting on him to be there and, and they have a 130 light, you know what I mean? You're going like, Jack, that's the worst light you've had all season. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, what what, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. So <laughs> give me some help here, man. But, but so I've been on a little bit of all of it, you know what I mean? On both sides and the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful side of it, man. And it's just kind of, that's what I love about our sport is it's, you know, it's always changing. It's always evolving. And we always have a good group of guys in there to battle it out with, you know? I think one of the things that's interesting about you is as I talk to the guys that race against you, they all, they all admire how consistent you are. And we see it week in and week out. You know, obviously you're, you're one of the top on average reaction time levers, but that's not because you pull some wacky light out of your rear end every once in a while. It's because, man, you go up there and you follow the process, whatever your process is, the same every single time. And yes, we do see you dial it up on in semifinals occasionally in the final round. You, you have a jaw dropper, but I just, I'm, I'm interested in kind of how it makes you feel to understand what your competitors think about you because you are very well respected amongst the guys you race against. Well, that, that truly means everything to me, man. And, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of the guys get up for me and I'm like, can, can you just have a bad light once against me? You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Like right. everybody brings their A game, man. And I'm kind of like, how about just bringing a B or C game one time? You know what I mean? So I can, because uh, you know how everybody is, man. They get up yep. for you because you're getting up, and it's just kind of, and they always have like their best light of the weekend against me. And I'm just like, dude, like, can you know, like, what do I got to do to get a couple hundreds here? You know what I mean? But it's, uh, but no, I mean, it really does mean a lot to me that they're, you know, I'm respected as a leader and a driver out there in the field. And, and you know, and I think that it comes back to honestly me not wanting to let my guys down, right? Yeah. So I see the sweat and the blood and the tears and, you know, and the travel and the, the time and, you know, that they put into this. And it's it's their livelihood, man. Like, that's yeah. that's something that I think I respect more than anything because, you know, I come home and I have several other businesses I run and, and I'm part of and trying to do stuff for my family and stuff like that. And, and it's just, you know, that's it for them, man. Like, that's their, that's their bonus money. That's their bread and butter. That's what they depend on. And they depend on me to go out there and, and drive my, you know, drive my butt off in that car, man. And, and, and I think that in itself is, is scary to walk back in a pit full of 10, 10 grown men that are just really mad at you. You know what I mean? Like, they're, <laughs> they're not happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're going like, yeah. whew, this is not a good feeling, you know? So I strive really hard not to let my guys down because I know how important it is to them. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to learn to turn that switch on and off of like, being at home and and turning the race stuff off and focusing on my businesses and then getting on a plane and being at the racetrack and turning the the phone off and focusing on the race car you know what i mean and and it, and it, it there for a while it just i was trying to do it all and it's just it's just not fair to my guys yeah. when i get on a plane and and i don't and i'm not there 100 percent. so over the years i've learned that you know what you, you the business and the work and everything else will be there when you get back you know what i mean that weekend that you're gone or that thursday through sunday that's that time that you need to get mentally focused and and give a hundred percent to to you know this race car and these guys that that are giving you a hundred you know so for me that's I really really truly you know hate that feeling when you come back and you know it's on you and the one thing I've always done is I've always owned it I you know yeah Don you and yeah. my crew guys and my crew chief nobody they already know nobody needs an excuse you know so yeah. you know it's it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes when you come back and you're like man dude I, I drove it out the groove or I had a really bad light or I wasn't focused or whatever it may be um and we're all human and we make those mistakes but I think that that really try to that makes me rise to the occasion when you know and like I said it, it's kind of sad to say but first round and second round sometimes I'm like okay you know what I mean but then you get in the semis and finals it's like 
yeah. my, my, you know, my blood pressure gets up, my yep. breathing comes up, like, you know, and you're just kind of like, you know, you get, you're like, okay, we're almost here now. We're halfway to this goal. You know what I mean? Now it's time to like, and I hate to say that because every round does count, but that's just kind of how I work is like, we get through round one and two and then it's like, okay, now that that feeling of urgency and, and adrenaline and everything starts to really come into play and you're like, all right, today's going to be our day. We got to make this happen. You know what I mean? That yeah. kind of stuff. So it's pretty wild. You know what I mean? How, how your mind, you know, kind of starts to, you know, take over and, and your body starts to get like, you know, ready for it. You know, so that, that, like that fight or flight syndrome, you know what I mean? One last question before I let you go, you know, from the outside looking in, we see the funny car championship. We see the uh, really amazing success you've had with the beef, uh, the beef business this year. We see the true harvest business really taken off uh, over the course of the last couple of years. This has to be, and kind of a strange question, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but this has got to be one of the best years of your life, I'd have to guess, just with everything that's going yeah, on, despite I mean, everything else that's going on, your other, personal success, yeah. Other than my, watching my wife have our children, I mean, it's the, you know, there's nothing better than to have a successful business and win a championship and be a part of something that, you know, is great in, in the history of the sport and, you know, it puts you in a, in a category with a, a select few people that's only one three and, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of great things happening and, but there's just such a lot of bad things that in the world that people yeah. are focused on. And, you know, I think like if we can give people, you know, just an opportunity to, to enjoy some stuff over, you know, watching us over the season and in a weekend and turn some, some, some stuff that's in a negative environment and, and place right now. Uh, I, I just, I'm so excited and, and tickled to be a part of that. You know what I mean? So, you know, no different than my brother and different things like that. You know what I mean? Like it was, it, it is, there's always ways to shine negativity on things, you know, and you got to learn to find a way to, to make things positive for people and show them that, Hey, you know, in a pandemic, we can still be out here in our business and be successful and adapt and, and we can still go racing and we can still have fans in the stands and just, just a lot of positivity that comes around and people feed off of that, man. Like they want to be a part of that. They want to be involved in that and they want to, you know, support that. So, you know, I think it kind of compiles on itself and people love that energy and they just want to keep supporting you and doing what they can and, and they feed off of that energy back and forth. So it's really something that's just amazing to, to kind of watch unfold and be a part of. And I'm just I'm just very blessed and, and glad to be out here doing what I love, brother. Yeah, man. Hey, congratulations on everything this year. Camping World Champion, the first one ever in Nitro Funny Car. It's a, it's a big deal and certainly was uh, a lot of fun to watch you guys race this year. And, cert- and it was on a lot of levels, like you just mentioned. It's a pretty inspiring thing to see how resilient uh, the sport is, how resilient our competitors are, and certainly the fans. So, man, I know you got to go back to work. Thank you for taking some time out, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Brian, thanks, man. I'll be looking at your Instagram. I'll, like, bring that knowledge, brother. Bring that that wealth of knowledge that you bring. I love learning about that stuff. I got a good one cooking for you. So stay stay tuned, man. Thanks, Matt. I will, brother. Thank you, guys. Have a great great weekend week. You see, buddy. Very nice chat with Matt. You're camping world nitro funny car world champion and uh one of the most interesting guys in the sport i think that um there are some elements of matt hagan that maybe don't get the credit they deserve the guy is a worker uh inside and outside the racetrack a hustler and uh, that is one of the things i respect about him i've told this story before i'm not sure if i've ever told it on the podcast before but when matt was getting going he was racing pro modified in the ihra days this would have been a long time ago now i'm not going to date him or me but it's been a while anyway at epping new hampshire uh his car which, of course, was equipped with all the best parts and pieces. There's a supercharged uh, Hemi in it, uh, blower combination. Uh, this was not a car that was wanting for anything, and it was running like hot garbage. was not going down the racetrack. They had a very kind of uh, horrific, if not embarrassing, Sunday with this car, and Matt went and fired everybody. 
He went back after that. During the event, he basically fired his entire crew and uh, sent everybody packing. And, and I caught up with him the next race. And again, he was a young guy at that point. So was an I. I just barely started going out on the IHRA tour then. And I said, hey, uh, like what happened? He said, well, they're not taking it seriously. And that that immediately kind of endeared me to Matt Hagen, where, you know, this was a guy who had resources to compete. We knew that he certainly was showing that he had the ability to drive the race car, but he also had the will to be a leader and the will um, to want to be a champion, not just to show up and be there and, and hang out and party. He wanted to win. And the people he had around him didn't really have the same mentality that he did. So he jettisoned all of them and uh, rebuilt that crew kind of from the ground up. Pretty neat story. And, and again, a look into the character and terms of the competitive character of Matt Hagen, who has always been kind of on the chip when it comes to trying to win on Sundays, no matter what category he's been racing in. So I told you we're going to talk to Matt, and then we're going to talk about some of the big numbers, if you will, from the 2020 season. And uh, these numbers are great. Um, a guy named Pete Richards, whose face you would not know, whose name you've heard on this show. We've actually interviewed Pete previously. He is the coordinating producer for the NHRA on Fox. So Pete works for uh, Fox Sports, and he is kind of the on-the-ground liaison between the NHRA and Fox over the course of any given race weekend. So during times when the show may be going a little long or during times when something ahead of us might be going long, we may be shifted around a little bit. He's the guy kind of coordinating that. He's also, uh, you know, he's also keeping an eye on the show. Uh, he has been in the producer's chair for some of our qualifying events as well. And one of the things Pete has done, kind of taking it on his own volition, was to create an incredible statistical analysis uh, race to race of our season. And he does this in kind of real time, week to week. He's built uh, this incredible kind of statistical system for us where, you know, we've always had historical stats. You know, we've always had the ability to, to catch up with Bob Fryer. Uh, when Lewis Bloom was with us on the show, Lewis would be able to, to call some of that information, the, the historical information. But one of the things we worked on this year and will continue to work on going forward in our shows is kind of the in-game stats, what I would call like the in-game kind of look at our racers and their performances and how they are performing. And it really does go beyond just uh, things like average reaction time. Um, and, and Pete has really taken this to another level where we have a great resource to be able to kind of at a glance almost be able to look at how anybody's doing. You will remember the NHRA power rankings. Uh, we did not talk a lot about power rankings this year. Um, do not expect those to be going completely away, though. You will likely be hearing about power rankings again in the future because we have these metrics built where we can now um, kind of do the analysis and, and we can look at who's where and who should be where. Um, so some of the numbers I wanted to go over this year, and, and this will be kind of maybe an ongoing recurring thing, but if we start to talk about the top field category and we look at exactly how dominant uh, Steve Torrance was over a couple of different places we should look at his average qualifying position was 2.8 over the course of the season the next closest car and average qualifying position was his dad at 5.4 Doug Coletta qualified at 5.82 roughly twice in the order where Steve Torrance did and that was perhaps one of the one of the reasons why that uh, team unfortunately kind of ran and hit the skids later on in the season the qualifying positions that they didn't necessarily end up with a lot of very favorable first round matchups Steve Torrance's average elapsed time in qualifying quickest of the category averaged 377.6 Doug Coletta was second quickest averaging 3815 Average speed, Steve Torrance is best in the category, 323.52, Billy 323.12. Going back again to talk about just how incredibly tightly tuned those cars are. 
When we go to the uh, reaction time, Steve is in the top 10, but he falls to the number 7 spot with an average of an 074 light. And I think this is notable only for the fact that a 74 is a very strong reaction time. But we have seen um, over the course of 2020, we have seen this idea of what a good versus a great versus an exceptional reaction time in top fuel is on a run-to-run basis completely rewritten. And it is uh, it is to oversimplify it, to give the credit all to just Justin Ashley. But uh, because Justin Ashley competed at every race, because that car went some rounds, because he averaged an 0.45 over the course of the season, he forced every single person that raced him to be better. And to be honest, every single person that raced him got better. Sean Langdon averaged an 0.56 Antron Brown averaging 60 for the season, Coletta 67, and then go into the 70s with Milliken and then Torrance. So what that net effect of that was, net effect of, we'll call it the Justin Ashley effect, is that everybody on a week-to-week basis would see this kid and understand that they would have to do something next to him. And every single person I brought up there, whether it's Sean Langdon or Antron Brown or Doug Coletta or Steve Torrance, Every single one of those guys did something when they were racing Justin Ashley differently, and they did something that improved their performance. We saw so many side-by-side jaw-dropping reaction times against Ashley, and to his credit, Ashley won a lot of those battles. He had a great season for his uh, Rookie of the Year earning year. We're going to talk to him on the podcast in the coming weeks, but... It is one thing to be the category leader, as Ashley was, in his rookie season. It's another thing to then understand every single person pulling up next to you is going to try to shoot the lights out of the tree because they know they need to do it. And Steve Torrance's 074 average is even Steven, steady Eddie type of stuff. And it's one of those things where, in talking to Matt Hagan, we talked about how consistent he has been on the starting line, how consistent he is on the tree. And frankly, there may be more value in the driver that's going to be 74 like every time he goes up there with the exception of maybe standing on the gas a little earlier a time and again to to uh, to beat an opponent maybe on a hole shot or something versus a driver who may be very good but also is inconsistent at that level. Ashley has all of that happening and we'll find out uh, who else decides to continue on their uh, improvement of reaction time over the course of the offseason coming into next year. But I thought that was interesting. Leads the first three categories we talk about is seventh with an 074 average in top fuel, which is certainly nothing to shake a stick at. We then go to the average eliminate ET and eliminations, and this is a category where Steve Torrance is fourth, averaging 3.964 seconds uh, over the course of the entire season. If we take every elimination run that he made, we average them out 396.4. Kind of interesting, right? Doug Coletta, on the other hand, 3.789 seconds. So how is Doug Coletta not the champion? Well, uh, we know that Steve Torrance, by virtue of car counts, by virtue of great qualifying, had himself some buy runs this year. And on those buy runs, they would experiment. Sometimes the car would make a full pull. Sometimes it wouldn't. We know that Steve Torrance won plenty of matchups where he had to pedal his way down the racetrack, as every top fuel racer has to do. So when we look at this average elapsed time on Sunday, we don't see him leading the charts, but we do see Doug Coletta leading the charts. Initially, it's maybe confusing. Should be mentioned, Doug Coletta not just leading by a little. His average of 3.789 seconds. The second car, Billy Torrance, his average of 3.933 seconds. So think about that for for just a a moment. That Doug Coletta was that much better, a tenth and a half, basically, than the rest of the field on average on Sunday, and yet did not win the championship. Uh, There's also the number of runs that were made. Steve Torrance appeared in 35 rounds, the most 
in the category of top fuel. Doug Coletta was second at 30. Steve Torrance averaged 101.5 points per race. Doug Coletta was second in the class, averaging 74.73. And that average points per race is where we can start tying some of these numbers together. Average qualifying position, 2.8, meaning that he was earning qualifying points left, right, and center. And that is how he accrued that average of 101.5 points per race. Um, we know that they're not invincible. They certainly look to be, and they certainly are for, were for most of the year. But we know the last two races, we saw Tony Schumacher and Antron Brown pick up very emotional wins for their career. Steve Torrance making the final round of both of those races, so nearly maxing out points there as well. But again, you have the leader in average qualifying position, leader in average qualifying elapsed time, leader in average qualifying mile an hour, leader in average points per race, and of course, the leader in rounds appeared in. The only categories that someone named Torrance isn't on top of would be the average ET of eliminations, average speed of eliminations, and average reaction time. But those three things are overcome by consistency, and that's exactly what Steve Torrance did. One of the most fun kind of off-the-wall stats, if you will, in Top Fuel comes down to hole shots. Remember in 2019, Doug Coletta had this this year of a record-setting, tying year of hole shot wins with, I think, seven or eight or something like that. When we go to hole shot wins in Top Fuel over the course of 2020, Billy Torrance ends up as the season leader. Billy Torrance had four hole shot wins and one hole shot loss. Leah Pruitt was right there with him. She had three hole shot wins, suffering two hole shot losses. Steve Torrance had two hole shot wins, suffered three hole shot losses. We can go to Antron Brown and Tony Schumacher, both grabbing one hole shot win apiece. Justin Ashley, believe it or not, the man with the quickest average reaction time in the business of top field drag racing, had one hole shot win and one hole shot loss. And Doug Coletta, the guy from last year that led the leagues, setting a tying his own record for the most number of hole shot wins in a season, had one hole shot win and one hole shot loss. That is the interesting thing about numbers and drag racing. The most interesting thing about how this sport kind of breaks in different ways. You are Justin Ashley. You're averaging hundreds of a second better on the starting line than your opponents. And yet, you keep finding people who are rising to the occasion to compete with you. One whole shot win for a guy that averages a 45 light does not make any sense whatsoever, right? You'd think he'd just be killing people, whole shots left, right, and center. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for him. He had a great rookie season, won the rookie of the year, and even though he was so good, it resulted in exactly one whole shot win because everybody else was stepping up against him. If you can believe this, only three red lights over the course of the entire season in top fuel. Sean Reed in Phoenix, who's racing Doug Coletta. Terry McMillan in Phoenix, who was racing Antron Brown. And Terry Totten at the third Indianapolis race, who was racing Billy Torrance. And you think about the fact that we had 12 races. I mean, we didn't have the normal 24. We had 11 races, rather. We didn't have the normal 24. But that's still 44 rounds of competition, and we start to count the number of runs within each one of those rounds. Um, that's pretty wild that only three red lights happened over the course of the entire season in the top fuel category. We know that Steve Torrance collected the most wins with four, Doug Coletta two, Justin Ashley, Antron Brown, Sean Langdon, Billy Torrance, and Tony Schumacher all grabbing one apiece. And again, we mentioned the three foul the three foul starts, Billy Torrance leading everybody in hole shots. We talk about first round losses. How many who had the most first round losses in top fuel? And it's actually a four way tie between Sean Langdon, Clay Milliken, Cameron Frey, and Doug Foley. 
And for Clay Milliken, it was a car that qualified strongly, and they just struggled on Sunday mornings, and they're looking to obviously rectify that for 2021. For Cameron Foray, obviously running the car with Terry Haddock, they uh, run on a low budget, but that car has been consistently now running high three-second runs. It is getting down the racetrack without any sort of incident, and he is basically one, uh, one good break away from picking up his second career round win. And for Sean Langdon, it was a season of some pretty high ups and some frustrating downs. Langdon winning the U.S. Nationals was, uh, of course, a career accomplishment for him. He has done it now multiple times, and it is a team that we all expect to be a factor, and Langdon definitely stepped up on several occasions to help his teammate, Doug Coletta. And Dallas made the semifinal round, but when we look across the course of his year, we see a lot of those first-round exits, a handful of second-rounder, one semifinal appearance, and the win at the U.S. Nationals, which, as we always talk about, a win at the U.S. Nationals can erase the frustration of a lot of different things over the course of a NHRA Camping World drag racing season, and it, sure, it certainly did for Sean Langdon and team. There's a look at some of the interesting numbers in top fuel drag racing. We'll take a look at each particular category as we go through the weeks here, but Steve Torrance's season, and Steve Torrance will be a guest in the podcast here coming up over the off season, but We'll catch up with him, talk about how his life is changing in the next couple of months, or in the next few months, I should say, as he will be welcoming a baby into the world with his wife, Natalie. All kinds of stuff happening in the offseason, all kinds of great stories to get and people to talk to. We'll continue getting them all and having those conversations here on the NHRA Insider. Wish everybody a great week. We'll be back with a Thanksgiving week episode next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being fans of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll be talking at you next week.